I would like to remind everyone that uh, this is my very first attempt to preach through the uh, book of the Revelation of Jesus Christ. And so uh, I always come up here when I do this with a little bit of fear, a little bit of um, anxiety, I guess. I don't know how else to say it. But um, if you would pray for me while I'm preaching, I would appreciate that very much. And so as, uh, as I begin, I would like to ask the Lord's assistance one more time. So let's turn our hearts up to God one more time before we begin the message. Father, we ask now that you give me clarity of thought and clarity of purpose, and may it be to reveal the Lord Jesus Christ in your word. May he be lifted up and glorified. May the gospel be made clear. May your people be blessed. And we ask that what is said in your, book, in your word, in your book today, might be clearly stated. So, Father, we pray this for your people here, but also for your people all over the world. We, grant, we ask this in the name of our Savior. Amen. Amen. This particular book is a great book, a book that many people have, uh, I guess, wondered about. They, this, is a, this is an appealing book for people to say, I wish I knew what this was. And uh, the world has taken hold of it, and Hollywood has made movies about it. Uh, people have written books about it. And um, it is sometimes a, a, a grieving to me when I see some of the things that people say about this particular book. And so I hope to be clear. I hope, to be, uh, I hope that the words will be useful to you because I believe that as they are, they are very useful. I just want to be used properly in teaching you what this book says. And so we are now in chapter 2, and this is retelling, this is telling us how what the letters that are being sent by the Lord, this entire book is an apocalyptic book that has visions in it, where the Lord is saying, I want this letter containing these visions to be sent to seven churches. And these churches are in what we call today Asia Minor. If you looked at a map, and you could see the uh, European theater, you would see that the Mediterranean Sea is below the European continent, and due east of that, is going to be the, um, the area that we're looking at, Asia Minor. And along the coast are going to be the first two cities. And if you can envision that in your mind with a map, Ephesus is almost in the center of Asia Minor, just slightly inland on a river. But if you go due north, the next city is the city that we're looking at today, Smyrna. The, le the next letter we, we finished yesterday or last week, the letter written to the Ephesians. Today we're looking at the letter written to Smyrna. It'll go due north, about 40 miles, and then the next city will be inland. And, and the travel is more like the, the route that a postman would take if he was to deliver a letter. He would start in Ephesus, go north to Smyrna, and then go east inland, and then further down south. It's like a horseshoe. And so it would go, it would go up, and then in, inland, and then down again. And then the, uh, the route of the mail carrier would be completed. And so today we're looking at uh, the second letter. Now, I'm going to tell you what I'm trying to achieve today, and that is the doctrine that I want to, uh, to, to receive. And the doctrine is kind of uh, a normal doctrine. You would look at this letter and say, well, I thought we were going to look into the visions and so on. We'll ever get there. Believe me, we will get to the visions. But right now, we're looking at the individual letters, and they have real-life, genuine help for us. So the doctrine is this. The Lord has provided us a means of grace. That is a way of obtaining grace, the means of grace, that can prevent us from living in fear, living in fear of death and the grave. In other words, God can provide grace to help us live courageously in this world, living a life of faith. 
So I've chosen this doctrine because this is what Christ is doing. He is giving an encouragement to the people in Smyrna because they are suffering severe persecution. Now, the type of persecution they're undergoing is not just political, but it is. It is not just economic, and it is. It wasn't just um, a suffering, and it was, but they were being imprisoned and even to the point of death. And so, no doubt, the encouragement was a great deal of help. And you may say to yourself, well, wouldn't it be better if Christ gave them more than encouragement? Maybe the Lord could just, just deliver them out of it and not let them endure that type of persecution. But you see, this is all in God's plan. Sometimes God will call upon us to endure this type of persecution because it'll be for his glory. And this is what we need to absorb. We need to understand that our lives should be spent serving God this way. It is a good thing for people to resist what is evil while they're able to in this life. God has called us to this purpose. And so we can see that this encouragement was really designed to enable them to endure the suffering, to help them get through the suffering, to help them serve God, and I would say with a smile on their face, even though they are enduring such great misery, even times to the point of death. So you may be saying to yourself right now, well, maybe this message isn't for me. Maybe it's for someone that's actually suffering persecution. Maybe the people in Afghanistan, maybe the people in, in Pakistan, maybe the people in Korea, North Korea. Well, this message is for you. Though, even though Satan wants to destroy God's people, and he wants to cause them to defame God's name, he doesn't always use physical suffering or overt persecution or outward violence. He can use an attack by luring the church asleep, by cooling their passionate love to God by unseen means. And so we need to understand that even though the people of Smyrna were being attacked directly by Satan with overt persecution, he is still wanting to hurt us the same way. He has just as much hatred for us as he did for the people in Smyrna. And even though God may say, you can go this far and no further, he will do all that he can. Remember the scripture that says, the foaming and the raging sea can only come so far and God says no further. That's for the seas of the people too. All of the peoples may rage against God. All of the nations may rage against God, but they can only go so far. And even when Satan came before God in his attempt to attack Job, God had to give him permission. And so in our fight, in our spiritual warfare, God is allowing Satan to do this. But you see, Satan does it because he hates God and hates you, and he's tempting you to sin. God is allowing it for good. Remember what he said to Joseph. They mean it for evil, but God means it for good. What Satan does in tempting us to sin, God is allowing a test for us to have our faith refined. It is for our good. And so we may not have the same persecutions, but Satan has the same design. He has the same ways of coming and to hurting us in this. And so the message is for us also. So we must never forget, even though we must try to understand the subtle ways that we are being attacked, there are still people in this world today that are actually dying for the sake of Christ. They are suffering for the sake of Christ. They are being put into prisons. They're having their heads cut off. Have you not seen the news where people are lined up in the North Africa where their heads were cut off, literally? 
And we say, well, those poor people. And yet they're God's people. We must learn that this passage is important. That God's people must say, we must learn to live without fear. If God be for us, who can be against us? This is something that can be a, achieved in your life. We can learn that we can own the name of Christ in this present evil world with courage. By trusting and living by faith in our God. So, that's the goal that I want to achieve. That's the doctrine. Okay? I'm going to give a two-minute review of where we, what we did last two messages, and that's this. The primary message that the Lord gave to the Ephesians can be boiled down to this. The Holy Spirit will provide a wide variety of gifts and helps, but we must realize that all of these gifts and helps are designed to do in us this one thing, to enable us to love Christ. We must never forget that our love to Christ must be before all things and above all things. We may learn many things from the scriptures in doctrine and in instruction. But if we forget that they lead us to love Christ supremely, we have truly lost our way. And we have been warned that if that happens, Christ may remove the candlestick or he may remove this church. So that's our review from the last two messages. Today we're going to look at the next four verses, verses 8 through 11. And we will go through those four verses only for today. Now, before we do that, I would like to give you a background about Smyrna, about this city. And I believe that this background will give you a little bit more information about what these Christians were undergoing. And you may relate this to yourself. Even now, we have a history in this country, don't we? We have a history of what God has done for us. We also have a history of what's being done by Satan against us. But let's learn about them so that we can take that information and apply it to us. Number one. Smyrna was an important place. It was an important city. We learned last week that Ephesus was a very important city, but Smyrna and Ephesus were kind of competitors for that type of fame. They both were beautiful cities. They both were uh, uh, just real busy with trade and with merchants. They both had ports along their coastline uh, on, the, um, uh, on the Mediterranean Sea. Now, Smyrna was located just about 40 miles north of Ephesus. Ephesus was slightly inland, but Smyrna is right on the coast. And uh, this particular sea that was on is basically the Mediterranean Sea, but it's really up north a little bit called the Aegean Sea, which is if you went due west, you would hit Greece. And so it had cool sea breezes, which provided a pretty nice climate. And so it was a nice place to live. And it was a very good place to live if you were a merchant, because it really kind of competed with Ephesus for the title, the first city of Asia. Because when it comes to people living around the world, they would say, where can we make money? Where can we buy and trade? Where can we go and do our business? Well, you can either go to Ephesus because they had a port, or you can go to Smyrna because they had a port. And of course, Ephesus had this advantage of having one of the seven wonders of the world, a, uh, a cathedral or a temple built to Diana, or um, uh, that was a, a great draw. However, the city of Smyrna also was famous for their temples to gods. They had many temples to gods there. Now today, the Esmer city is where, in Turkey, is where uh, Smyrna used to be. So the city of Esmer is kind of built upon the ruins of Smyrna. 
Now today, it's a pretty thriving city as it was back then, but back in the day, back when the time when this city, or when this city had the church uh, that was new uh, um, during the time of uh, the Apostle John, the city only had maybe about 100,000 people. Now, if you recall, Ephesus had about 250,000. So this, this was a slightly smaller city. And, you know, just to get a feel for it, remember, Titusville is about 50,000 people. And so Smyrna is about four times the size of Titusville. And so it's a beautiful city. It has many temples. It's very affluent. It has lots of merchants. And uh, things are happening there. So the politics of Smyrna where it runs a little bit like this. They have been politically sided with Rome for a long time. As a matter of fact, 200 years before Christ came, they had actually built a, a temple to the goddess of Rome called the Dia Roma. And so they have already aligned themselves politically. Now the reason they would build a temple like this is that they're inviting Romans to come and do business with them. They're saying, you have a God, we have a temple for your God. Can you come and trade with us? Can you come and we'll open the doors to you? And so they've already had a political alliance with Rome. And so as time went on, their political alliance grew. In 26 AD, which is about the time when our Lord was beginning his ministry, Tiberius was a Caesar in Rome. And at this time, Rome was considering making all of its territories worship their Caesars as gods. Now, Tiberius was an interesting guy. He didn't really want to be worshipped as a god. And in most of the territories, he did not require it. However, Asia Minor was that special place where these cities were just multiplied with temples. They had all types of gods, and he wanted to have the loyalties of the people. And so there he did require that the people of Asia Minor, Minor would worship the Caesar as a god. And so what happens is that you now have a political alignment that requires the religious people to give homage and to worship God. That's a real problem for the Jews, is it not? Just as it would be for the Christians. And so I think it's very ironic that Tiberius would actually say, well, nobody else has to worship me, but you know those people over there, they are quite religious. And to compete with their loyalties, I want them to have me among their gods. And so that's what he did. Two of the major gods in which there were major tempers there in Smyrna was one was built to Zeus. You've heard of him. Another was built to Cybele. I hope I pronounced that name correctly, not because I don't want to offend her, but I just, I don't want to say it incorrectly. But Cybele was an ancient god that looked a lot like the gods that came out of Canaan. And she is, has, a, has a nickname of this, Great Mother of Gods. Now, that even sounds very familiar to me, to the religions that, that exist today. Uh, there, are, there is a major religion today that says they, that their mother, that there is a mother of a god among them. The layout of the city was built around the idea of having these temples exalted. And the very layout of the streets allowed these temples to be arranged or to arrange in the shape of a crown. So that when you entered the city and you looked over the layout, the very temples that they built looked like a crown. And oddly enough, and of course I don't think it is odd, this is when the Lord said at the very end, I will give you the crown of life 
among people who live in a city whose crown is built to glorify other gods. And so in this particular city, there was a sizable population of Jews here. Many Jews lived here. And because of this new rule that Caesar would be worshipped by God, they petitioned Rome and were granted an exemption special to the Jews that they would not have to worship Tiberius or any Caesar. That was granted to them. Unfortunately, the Jews that rejected the Lord Jesus Christ, then, at that time, they realized Rome is recognizing these Christians who are not like us, and they were being exempted from worshiping Caesar. And so they did their very best to tell Rome, these people are not with us. These are not Jews. And so they did their very best to put Jews into the arena, so to speak. They did their very best to make the Christians worship Caesar. And why? They knew that they would not. And it was their method to punish the Christians. So Jews rejected Christians, and they became the means of persecution. And thus we have the description in this letter that there are those who say there are Jews and they are not, they are of the synagogue of Satan. And that's one of the reasons why our Lord uses those type of words. So, we're just about done with the background, but I want to make one more observation about the background of Smyrna. Smyrna was famous for the tree groves that grew among them. It's a beautiful city. You would arrive, many groves of trees around, but many of the groves were myrrh trees. Myrrh. Now, that's a spice. You would recognize it from the idea that uh, some of the spices that were given at the birth of Christ, and also myrrh was one of the spices that was used to preserve uh, Christ when he died. They used that to, to, to embalm him. And so myrrh was a very popular spice, a very expensive price, uh, uh, spice. And the way this would work is that you could smell this around the city, but the myrrh itself could only be processed by taking the trees, by taking the branches, and they're not tall trees, they're kind of like shrub type trees, but you could take these and they would ooze a gum, and if you took the branches and the leaves and crush it, well then the gum would come out and then you could process into the, into the spice known as myrrh. And so the idea that something very expensive could be produced there by crushing it was, was this. This is not the kind of spice that you would sell someone to say, this is great on pizza or you would eat it. It's really a bitter type of taste. And so people didn't use it for, for eating. It was more used in embalming or a spice or an aroma that you would use uh, just to make things smell better. And so it was a very popular, very expensive. And the very idea, and to me is allegorical, that there would be trees that you could crush that would cause an aroma to rise up, just like the Christians who were crushed by Rome, and then their prayers would rise up to God and be a sweet-smelling savor uh, for God to be pleased with. But God is pleased with the prayers. Not that he's pleased that his people are being crushed, but he's pleased that they are praying and putting themselves into the hands of God. So, lastly, there's one thing I want you to notice about this letter to Smyrna, and that is this. Two of the churches among the seven churches were not reprimanded. They did not receive a reproof. If you noticed, this was one of them. God did not say, I have something against you. One of the churches that did not receive reproof. The other one is Philadelphia. 
both of them, and I'm going to say by coincidence, but you know what I think about coincidences in the Bible, they don't exist, both of them refer to the Jews who say they are Jews, but they are not, and the phrase, the synagogue of Satan, is used in both one of these, both of them. And so this implies to me that God is going to find, God is not going to find fault with a group of people that are under severe persecution, but he will say, please fear not. And that is the message that is here. So when we begin, we look at verse number 8. We start there. And to the angel of the church of Smyrna, write the words of the first and the last who died and came to life. So basically, we have an address. If you've ever received a gift in the mail, usually you have a to and a from, don't you? Or even when you have gifts, if you want to give each other gifts for Christmas, you would pick up a gift and it has to and from on it, or a valentine. And this is what we have here. We have two the ch people and the church members, and two, actually the angel and the, of the people at Smyrna, the pastor. But it's from. This is where the Lord gets more eloquent, where he says, It is from the first and the last, the one who died and the one who came to life. That is who it's from. So the very idea here, I can tell you that the message is two words. The message is this, fear not. Why? Because it is from the one who is the first. It is from the one who is the last. It is from the one who died and from the one who lives again. That's why you do not have to fear. And so when we think about that, we do not have to think that God does not know everything about us. He knew from the very beginning your pain and all your needs. That is why he says, I am the first. He was the one that created all things and all things were created for his glory. And so he's going to know. It's there in his plan. He is the last. He knows that at the last day he will deliver us fully redeemed and glorified as his bride to Christ. God knows he is the first and he is the last. He wants us to know that he died for our sins and he rose again for our justification. That is why they do not have to fear. Verse number, um, <clears throat> let me get my notes right here. Do not think that God is unable to know about your problem. They, he does. They are secure in his love. So, the main message is this. Do not fear. Verse number 9. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but are rich and slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are of the synagogue of Satan. So, why should he continue in this? The, the message is still this. Do not be afraid. Because I have other reasons why you should not be afraid. Because he knows their tribulation. It's not as though he doesn't know. He knows. He knows that Rome could end their lives at any moment. He knows that there is no mercy or patience in those that hate them. He knows that their longtime neighbors, friends. Now, why would I say that? Because Christians were normally part of the synagogue. They were, most of them, saved Jews. But then they went into the community. And so who are these people going to be? They're going to be friends. They're going to be neighbors. They're going to be relatives. And these people then, at the time, will be severed. Their relationships will be severed. And even their longtime neighbors and friends will aid in starving them and imprisoning them. They'll have their businesses boycotted. Christ knows their poverty. When you're in a city of merchants selling things, many of them many times supporting gods of other nations, they know that if Christ 
is named among them, then the Jews would support the idea that their businesses should be boycotted. They know that their property can be confiscated. Many times, a man can re-represent himself to the courts in Rome, and should he point out that someone is a malefactor or a breaker of the law, he can get a fine or a percentage of what property that's confiscated because they're criminals. And so they have people turning other people in to, to win part of the confiscations. They know eventually that this world, that eventually all the belongings and all the things that these Christians had would, be put to, would either be used up and depleted or destroyed. And so these people were in a very bad way. But Christ knows about it. He knows about their tribulation. He knows about their poverty. But this he also knows, and he wants them to know, that their true wealth is very great in heaven. He says, though you do not have anything here now, you have a great reward in heaven, and it is everlasting. Please note that he doesn't say this. I'm going to give you all the worldly things that you wanted. No, he doesn't say that. This is our opportunity to serve God by giving up what this world wants to take from us. And we say, blessed be the God who gives and blessed be the God who takes away. But let us do justice and let us love mercy and let us walk humbly before our God. This is now our opportunity to live righteously in this world. Number three, because Christ knows the slander that is hurled against them. The Jews will slander the Christian. They'll even cause the government. Now, I'm talking about the Jews back then, okay? I'm not talking about right now. That's a different political situation. But at this time, these were genuinely the synagogue of Satan. Their former friends, their former fellow people, worshipers, disowned them. And they were not uh, their friends any longer. The Jews had received an exemption from worshiping Rome, but now the Jews wanted Rome to force Christians to bow the knee to Rome something that they even would not do themselves. They want this because the Jews know that the Christian would rather die than do this, and therefore they are forced into the point of either being put into prison or death. But God wants them to know this. They are not the real Jews. The real believers in Christ are the real children of Abraham. They are the real children of God. Amen. That's why we say that they are the synagogue of Satan, because Believers are the children of God. Verse number 10. Do not fear. Notice the repeating of the statement. Fear not. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, and you will be tested for ten days and will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. So do not fear what you are about to suffer. And you may say, well, what, what about us? I mean, that's about those people. I know that people in Pakistan, I know the people in Afghanistan, they may fear, but what about us? I'm telling you right now that we need to pray for them, but we must also be aware, be prepared, be ready to suffer for His name's sakes. But do not be discouraged. Do not fear. You need to be courageous, to be strong, and to endure with patience, because Satan will throw some of you into prison. It may be them, but it may be us also. Satan will tempt us to sin, but this will be a test for faithfulness also. You will be required to complete the testing. Now, many have said, I don't know why you get that. Because it says that it'll be, uh, many will be thrown into prison for 10 days. 
And some of you will say, well, that's not so bad. I can do 10 days standing on my head. What's that? I believe that the idea of 10 days here is an apocalyptic message. It is something that is symbolic. Now, I don't know if this is true or not, but I've read more than one person that said this. 10 is part of the decimal system. And if you uh, count up to 9 and go to 10, you then have one group of 10s. If you then count up to 9 and 10 again, you have two groups of 10. You do this again, you have 33 groups of 10. And so it seems that when you go from 1 through 9, you have a complete set. Now, it seemingly makes sense. I don't know if that's true or not, if this, we should interpret this way, but I will say this. The decimal system did start with the Arabs. Did you know that? I'll give them credit for that. The decimal system started with them. And so many times the word or the number 10 seems to represent either the Gentiles or something that is complete among the world. And so when God says in a letter, you're going to be thrown into prison for 10 days, I would say make that a time of testing that's going to be done until it's completed. You're going to complete the sentence that is given to you by the world through the prompting of Satan. And it will be complete. And so what should I say to this? God is going to require of us to endure a complete persecution. And what, it, what does that mean for us? Well, it only means that it will end. It has a time to end. And I can tell you that it will end soon. And when is that? At the end of your life. And I know what you're saying. Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. You mean for the rest of my life? I know the world says, I don't want this to last for the rest of my life. But you see, for the world, that's all they have. But for us, it is not. It is the beginning of our life. We only have to endure it until we close our eyes in death and open our eyes to see Christ. It is that completeness at this time in which if Satan says, I will throw them into prison, we will say, may God give us grace to endure unto death to complete time. And so, verse number 11. He who hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt with the second death. Do you see the, the, the correlation here? It says, please endure unto death. But the Spirit says, the one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. It doesn't mean that we won't be hurt by the first one. But then again, we all know that we are born to die. This flesh will die. We have the opportunity to live to God's glory for the complete period of time. To be imprisoned by Satan in this world. And we must live to his glory. When? Until he comes. Till we die. It is... For us to know that we cannot be hurt by that second death. So, again we have the saying, He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says. Remember what we said about that? It helps us to understand that we are to pay attention. Remember what we said? See, it means this. There is a lesson to be learned here. Please pay attention. And so now we'll have some very brief applications. Remember, it says this. In the letter, in these four verses, to the people of Smyrna, the Lord is saying this. I know your problems. I know your trouble. Do not be afraid. That's the entire message. I know your problems. Do not be afraid. And so the Lord knows 
what's about to happen to you. You don't have to be afraid of what's about to happen to you. The Lord knows. You do not know, but the Lord does. The Lord knows. The Lord knows what you are going to suffer. You do not have to fear about what type of suffering you have to endure. The Lord knows. The suffering is something that you cannot anticipate, but the Lord knows. We don't see it, but he does. Everybody will experience suffering. You may say, well, we don't live in Afghanistan. We don't live in Pakistan. No, but you live in one of the most debauched nations in the world. We have a suffering that other people do not have suffer, that, that we don't have. We have a unique type. We have hardships as well as others. We must glorify God and endure unto the end patiently. Now the world is going to see this. The world is watching. We are the epistles written upon the hearts. Many times people don't read the scriptures, but they do read Christians. And we may be the only gospel that they hear. So we have to be ready to live for the glory of God. So let's live well so that we can die well because we are to do this until we die because it is our calling to do this. It is to be enduring unto death. The Lord knows that the devil is about to imprison some of you. Remember what he said to them? And they were thrown into prison, physical prisons. And you may say, well, I hope that doesn't happen to us. Well, it might, but I'll tell you what, you can be confined in different ways. A prison is a confinement and it is possible to be confined in many other ways do you have everything that your flesh has ever wanted do you have do you know everything can you be what you want to be do you own everything do you have power over things that you want to change no you don't there will be confinements and satan will try to make you discontent when you cannot change them when you cannot make, break through those boundaries but Satan, Satan, the devil, wants you to be discontent with what the Lord has given to you. Did the Lord say that you cannot eat of every tree of the garden? Oh, it's because the Lord doesn't love you, but he does. The Lord knows that you will be tested, and you are not to be afraid of this. You are to have courage. Remember, it's a tempting by Satan, but it's a testing of God. One wants you to fail. He wants you to sin. The other wants you to endure. He wants you to be refined. Satan will try to get you to sin, but the Lord will provide his spirit and the truth of his word will help you to test you so that you may understand fully about his grace. The Lord wants you to know about the tribulation that's coming and about the endurance that you require. The Lord knows that he will enable you to, entire, to, to endure the entire appointed time until it is done, all 10 days. We all have our 10 days in prison. If we have an appointed time to endure, and it is until the end. It will not be forever. It is only until you die. We know that you are, God knows that we are frail, and that he's provided this enduring grace to help us to the very end. Now you may say, and you may think to yourself, I hope I don't have to die a martyr's death. That would be tough. That would be, that would be a hard thing to do. However, I want you to consider this. Listen to this carefully. If living year after year with plenty can lessen your fear of God or your love to Christ then having plenty can be more dangerous than prison or a lion's den. Do you see that? You may be given plenty but if it can lessen your love to God or lessen your fear of God then it can be more dangerous than being thrown into a prison or being cast to the lions. Now 
We must endure these type of temptations. Remember when Christ said to Peter, do you love me more than these? And some say, well, he's talking about the fishing nets or even his comrades. Well, even now Christ says to you, do you love me more than anything that has kept you away from him? We must be able to endure. <clears throat> some people thrive on praise. They just do. Accolades, praise. If the accolades and praise of people can satisfy you more than the presence of the Lord's Spirit, then having the praises of men can be more dangerous than being burned at the stake. We must realize that the type of attacks that Satan has for us may not be the same as they were in Smyrna, but they are still hateful of, this, of, of, of Satan. They, he still wants to destroy you. He will come at you and cause you to be persecuted, to be to have to endure. So, we are called to be faithful unto death. Do not make the mistake that Satan is working less against you because you have not seen the inside of a prison cell. He hates you just as much. He is just as much. He's using a different tact, a different effective method that has worked already very well in different places. And he calls us, God calls us to be prepared, to be ready, and to be courageous. And so by his grace, I want you to be able to see the hand of God, the way he works mysteriously. So I want to read a hymn to you. Listen to the words carefully. It's by William Cowper. God moves in a mysterious way, his wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. Deep in unfathomable minds, or never of never failing skill, he treasures up his bright designs and works his sovereign will. Ye fearful saints, O oh, fresh courage take. The clouds you so much dread are big with mercy and shall break in blessing on your head. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. His purposes will ripen fast, unfolding every hour. The bud may have a bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower. Blind unbelief is sure to err, and scan his work in vain. God is his own interpreter, and he will make it plain. So in conclusion, we have this. God has a simple message to the people that lived in Smyrna, and it was this. Do not live in fear. Do not live in fear of death or the grave. We must learn to live without fear in this present evil world, to own the name of God with courage, to be Christians every day, every day, to be faithful unto death. He says, I will give you a crown of life. Amen. To the one who conquers, you will not be hurt by the second death. Listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. Fear not. In conclusion, let me read these verses to you. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Behold, the eye of the Lord is upon them that fear him, upon them that hope in his mercy. The angel of the Lord encamps around about them that fear him and delivers them. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, 
so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. But the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him and those who hope in his steadfast love. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling, we will not fear. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, I ask now that you would be with your people. Provide them the courage of faith. May they be armed with the knowledge of your promises. May they have hearts that are ready and prepared and willing. May they live to your glory. May they walk uprightly. May they do what is right and just. May they love the mercy and grace provided. And may they walk humbly before you. So, Father, we ask for the courage. We ask for the mighty power of your Spirit to give us courageous hearts of faith to walk in your ways. Take away our fear of death and the grave. We ask it in our Lord's name. Amen. Amen.